thank you, Anderson family, for leading our children down there, Children's Church. This morning for our text, we are going to be in James chapter 5, James chapter 5, 7 through 12, primarily be focused on 7 through 11 this morning. I want to read the text. James 5, starting in verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. You have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. But let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Let us pray. Lord, I, it is always weighty to stand in this pulpit, Lord. There is a heaviness of preaching your word, Lord, the responsibility. I know even today as Maybe some are not here due to physical sickness. Uh, But maybe some are not here due to just the emotional sickness of pain or depression that plagues our world. Lord, that in this time there is much that, that is going on and we don't understand it all. Various sickness, darkness, and it seems so weighty that we can't even bear it, Lord. Oh, Lord, great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord. I pray that in the preaching of your word, in these minutes that you give us, Lord, we would see that you are with us in our suffering, Lord. To you be glory this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. When I, I think of suffering, and I was called by uh, Joel on Wednesday or Thursday to, to fill in uh, for this Sunday, I, the Lord led me to this text. It's something that we all undergo or will be undergoing, and we, it's not hiding anywhere these days. It's ever before us. And you know, sometimes when I look at suffering, I think it's, it's good to look back. It's good to look back. I'm reminded um, during our nighttime devotions, uh, Ashley will, will read from a book every now and again. It's called Trial and Triumph. Uh, Richard Hanula, short biographies of faithful saints. And, and in that, we learn of what these saints had to undergo. A story struck me a couple weeks ago when, when she read of John Bunyan. 
Many of you know him. 17th, 17th century pilgrim, most well known for Pilgrim's Progress. Um, you know, after his conversion, he continued his trade. He, he kind of worked with, uh, and that, the terminology they gave back then as a tinker, kind of working with cutlery, metals, various things. As he continued in that trade, he also went out as a preacher. I'm going to read you a little portion from Trial and Triumph about John Bunyan as his time spent as a traveling preacher. So during this time, he was going out to preach somewhere. These were the circumstances before him. At this same time, King Charles II pushed through laws, forcing everyone, regardless of conscience, to worship as the Church of England directed. The king did not recognize the nonconformist preachers, those outside the Church of England, like Bunyan, as true ministers of the Lord. On November 12, 1660, Bunyan rode out to preach at a country farmhouse nestled in a field of elm trees. Upon entering the cottage, the people did not greet him with their usual joy, but with anxious looks and warnings of danger. For word had leaked out that a justice of the peace had issued a warrant for Bunyan's arrest should he attempt to preach. Members of the congregation urged him not to go ahead with the meeting. Brother, one man said to Bunyan, do you think it wise to proceed with the meeting? Perhaps we should call it off for another day. No, by no means, Bunyan said firmly. I will not be stopped. Neither will I have this meeting dismissed for this. Come, be of good cheer, and let us not be afraid. Our cause is good. We need not be ashamed to preach God's word. It is so a work that we shall be well rewarded if we suffer for it. People filled the farmhouse for the service, and Bunyan began with prayer. With Bible in hand, he was about to begin his sermon when the doors burst open and the constable and his men entered. Waving the arrest warrant, the constable ordered his men to seize Bunyan. As they led him away, he called to the people, It is a mercy of God to suffer for doing good. Better by far to be the persecuted than the persecutors. It was after that moment, Bunyan would spend the next 12 years in prison, faithfully serving the Lord. I look at that and I see the faithful saints and in here in our text this morning, we see James, our author, the half-brother of Jesus. He's, he's writing to a group of Jews. Uh, they have been dispersed. He opens up the, the book. The, the 12 tribes have been dispersed. And they're undergoing a persecution. And how do we know this? Well, I will read quickly through 5 verses 1 through 6 to see what type of persecution they were undergoing, starting in verse 1. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have corroded. And this corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat up your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. 
You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So here's this condemnation against the rich. Uh, Many believe the, the spiritual leaders who were really taking advantage of the poor. But the poor were the righteous, the the group that James is writing to. And we see that that these poor were the mowers of the field. They were the servants. They were serving the rich. They were the ones that were the harvesters. But as the rich lived in luxury, they continue to persecute the righteous, even to the point of condemnation and murder. And the poor cry out. And their cries had reached the ears of the Lord. James tells the worldly rich that their condemnation is due. That, that it is coming. It would be very similar if uh, you're familiar with the book of Isaiah. If you read chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, it's, it's the same similar condemnation that gives for this group of, of people. It's the, it's the lawgivers. It's, it's the rulers who are... Um, putting out decrees that are bringing iniquity on the righteous. Uh, it is the, the lawgivers who are writing laws that oppress the righteous. And their judgment, too, is similar for doing that. In, in Isaiah 10, verse 3, Isaiah begs the question, What will you do on that day of punishment and the ruin that will come from afar? To whom will you flee for help, and where will you leave your wealth? More specifically in Isaiah's text, he was talking about the the coming invasion of the Assyrian army who's eventually going to overthrow them, and Israel will go away into captivity. But the condemnation for those who have persecuted the church is due. That timing is not always spot on and doesn't come quick, as we learn through the Bible, but it will be there. So one thing we just have to be assured of from this text, and and, and the point that I want to make before I proceed further into this passage is one thing that everyone here puts their their faith and trust in Christ is that we are assured of suffering. In some form or another, we are assured of suffering. Sometimes it comes at the, the hands of evil persecutors, those who would enact unjust laws. Sometimes it comes through a physical persecution. But for the Christian, suffering is unavoidable in whatever manner it takes. Job 5.7, as surely as the sparks fly upward, man is destined for trouble. Oh, how true that is, right? Destined for trouble. Jesus said in John 16.33, in this world you will have tribulation. So James, knowing that persecution was present for these Jewish people, but there was also something that he was aware of as well, right? Persecution causes or can cause complaint. It can also cause a Christian to become, to to lose their patience. Uh, They're they're tired of their circumstances. They, They want a different route. They even get to the point where they begin to argue and complain with one another, as we will see in this text. 
And then sometimes it leads to them blaming God. So James was well aware of this. He was well aware that persecution can disrupt the church. It can destroy the believer. And then they can walk away from the Lord. I believe that through this text here, patience and suffering, James lays out six points for the believers. Six points for them to look to in their suffering. Let's look at verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. So first he calls on the believers to be patient. Be patient for the coming of the Lord. We know that it is true. As whatever difficulty, whatever trial that we are undergoing, it is likely that our prayers increase. That our petitions, that our cries up to heaven often increase. But more so to that, James is reminding us that guess what? That difficulty is only for a moment. Look to the coming of the Lord. We learned last week as I read through Philippians that our citizenship is in heaven, right? This is not our, this is not our permanent home. This is not our permanent place of belonging. It is with Jesus Christ forever, with him in heaven. This is our ultimate hope for the Christian. James gives us the comparison to a farmer, verse 7. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. I have to assume that that James must have had some experience working the field, uh, knowing something about how to grow crops, work on the farm. So he gives this image. It, It provides a simple illustration. Just as the rains that fall from the earth that cause the crops to grow, you just wait for it. You just wait for it. I think he uses this illustration for, for a couple of reasons. One, just as a farmer has no control at all of, of when it's going to rain, we have no control of our circumstances at times. And we certainly have no control of when the Lord will return. It is a full trust there are many circumstances that we, that we have to deal with where there's nothing that we can do. In our sickness, we cannot heal ourselves. James says, be patient, just as the farmer is. But notice that the, that the expectation that the farmer has is wonderful. Look at the, the term that he uses. The farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. He uses that, that term precious. It's, it's not just, okay, I'm going to get my crops so I can sell them and, and, and make money or that I can feed. It is this, this golden treasure that after all the work that you've done, you, the, the tilling of the ground, God is ultimately going to produce the final result, which is precious. This precious fruit before you, the rain and the sun, it is all a matter of trusting in God. This is how he compares the return of the Lord. It is out of our control, but we wait. 
We wait. I would say winter is by far my least favorite season. Uh, I always say that if it wasn't for uh, Christmas and my birthday, I, I don't know what I'd do. But in, in the midst of, of winter, there's, there's a couple of things that, that get me excited about the coming spring season. As I fight the doldrums of this uh, sometimes depressive season, I long to hear those words, pitchers and catchers report. If you are a baseball fan, you know what I mean. But there's also something else that is exciting. Uh, my favorite flower is the tulip. And ever since being in Washington for the past 20 years, I know it's unique to this region. And uh, blessed with the property we've had for the past couple of years, I've been able to plant a couple of those bulbs. And typically an earlier flower, right? Earlier spring. Uh, daffodils even earlier than that. And, and I was out there with my daughter uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I said, Esme, come here, come here. And, and you could just barely see it, like, out of the ground, just the smallest hope of growth. Like, it's going to be a beautiful flower, maybe late winter, early spring, but it's going to be there. It's that expectation, right? You see that, that, that the Lord is good to us. There is this coming hope that is going to be so beautiful and so glamorous that we can't even picture it. And the most picturesque hopes that he grants us here on, on earth, the, the beautiful sunshine, the views of Mount Baker, the beautiful tulips that bloom in the spring, aren't even going to compare. But he gives us those signals of hope to look to. Look to the Lord's return. James is saying this, that the dark times will pass. The days of the glorious and beautiful arrival of our coming king will one day be here. Romans 8.18 For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Point number two. The judgment of the Lord. The judgment of the Lord. Look at verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So we know trials are a guarantee. Jewish people are facing trials. And so... What does that result in? At times, grumbling. James recognized this, and he says, do not grumble against one another. You know, sometimes those grumblings can happen. One, somebody may see their circumstances are heavier than somebody else's, and they feel that perhaps God is treating them unfairly, or that it's just so much for them to bear and they see somebody else's predicament and their predicament is not as heavy and they just start to complain. And it makes them upset that this is the lot that they've been given. Right? This can lead to not only grumbling, but it, it can lead to a disunity in the church. And it just, you know that. You've, if you've been around somebody that's complained a lot, 
I've worked various jobs where, where somebody that's constantly, whether it be whatever the boss is doing or whatever predicament somebody has to or how early they have to wake up, they're grumbling, grumbling. You don't want to be around them. But it's almost, it's contagious to a degree that it starts infecting other people. And then it just creates an organization that it's not healthy and, and people become depressed and they start to grumble. So he's calling on them, do not complain or grumble. As Christians, we above all people should not be those that grumble. So James had a motivation to avoid this type of complaint. He said that, so you won't be judged. Now I have to flesh this out a little bit more because I want to, uh, he's making two distinctions. Scripture obviously makes two distinctions. First off, if, if the grumbling is to a point where every circumstance for every situation that you're in is, is, is a constant gripe, that, that life in general is just horrible and I'm always constantly complaining and nothing is ever well, nothing ever goes my way. If that is the state of, of where you're at, if, it's a, if life is a constant complaint and gripe, you would have to ask yourself, am I truly a believer in the first place? Am I, am I truly trusting in the Lord for forgiveness of sin and life everlasting? I think James has this view of, of judgment. This would be somebody who is unsaved. They don't have their sins atoned for. They, they need Christ first and foremost to renew their mind. These are the ones that would have been in the first category of the persecutors where their condemnation is due because they don't know the Lord. But the other view of judgment is also, I think the best way that I can explain is is just read what Scripture has to say. And, And James had this in mind. So sometimes, right, Christians... You and I are, are prone to griping and, and to complain about various circumstances. Well, this is what Scripture reminds us. I pull from 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. This is what Paul said. For, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Do you know that the believer will stand before the judgment seat of Christ? This is all. Let me detail this a little bit more. Again, I pull from Scripture. 1 Corinthians 3, 13 through 15. Now, if any builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So James had in mind also the, the believer's judgment, or the believer's standing before God to answer to him, to be accountable for all that they have done. Now, this is not a judgment of condemnation. This is not to be sent away 
uh, from eternal separation from God. If you are a believer in Christ, your sins are atoned for. You, you are saved. You will be with Christ in heaven forever, as Scripture promises. But at the same time, we will have to answer for how faithful we have been to what God has entrusted us with. I think this is what Corinthians talks about. What sort of foundation are we laying here on earth? Are we building that with wood, hay, or straw, or for the gold and silver? And I think sometimes that foundation can be built in trials. Is that trial something where we just grumble or are we just saying, in this trial, Lord, I know you're laying a foundation. I want to lay that foundation in this time of gold and silver. I want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And then also, James reminds us the expectancy that the Lord will return at any moment. At the end of verse 10 here, or verse 9, the judge is standing at the door. It's going to happen any moment. Sometimes I wonder if I, if I step, as I step into this pulpit, this will be the last Sunday I ever preach. I always wonder if this will be the week that the Lord returns. When nobody knows. Nobody knows that day or hour. But it's swift. He's standing right at the door. We don't know what it will be. Don't grumble in the circumstances. Build up one another. United in Christ. Point three, I'll move through these a bit quicker. Look to the examples of old. Look to the examples of old, verse 10. Verse 10, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Israel did not love their prophets, did they? They did not love them. Recall the words of our Lord describing Jerusalem, one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. But James is not making the point of how the prophets were treated. He is making the point of how they endured. We can think of some of the prophets of old. Stephen stood before the Sanhedrin in the book of Acts and they threw rocks at him. He was, he was stoned to death. We can think of Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. We can think of John the Baptist who was beheaded. Israel did not love their prophets. I want to look to one more real quick as I, as I turn to Amos 7. Maybe one of the prophets were, may not be as familiar with. But in Amos 7, verse 10, I'm just going to read a couple of verses here. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from his land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go flee away to the land of Judah and eat bread there and prophesy there, but never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary and it is a temple of the kingdom. I'll conclude there. Basically what Amaziah was saying, we don't want your words, Amos. Don't speak truth to us. 
And actually, why don't you go to a different land and tell it there? Amos didn't stop with that. Amos continued to prophesy. He prophesied and ultimately he would speak words that would bring down judgment on Amaziah. And, and just to make it clear, Amaziah was the priest. He, he was the leader of Israel, not faithful, not faithful. He only wanted to hear the good things. But the point that, that is being made, look to the prophets of old as a reminder, as when times get hard or when, when persecution comes, continue to preach, continue to prophesy, continue to point others to Christ. That is the only hope. That is who we look to. That is who we must point others to. We don't say, Amos didn't say the persecution is too great. I'm done with this, Lord. You know, Amos was just a shepherd called out of tending the sheep to go prophesy. Be faithful. Be faithful in the the times of difficulty to continue as we suffer to do the Lord's work. Point number four, the Lord's blessing in suffering. The Lord's blessing in suffering. Look at verse 11. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. You know, James opens up uh, the book with these two wonderful verses, three wonderful verses. We know them. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I think the reason James opened the book with this is that he was about to tell them about the persecution and remind them again of what they're going through. But he was saying, in it, guess what? The Lord is going to accomplish his work, count it all joy. And maybe that's easier said than done. But he makes a pretty good case, doesn't he? He makes a pretty good case that the testing of our faith, this this trial is producing steadfastness. Are we allowing it to have its full effect? Are these trials, these difficulties producing endurance? I I heard a, I was listening to a podcast um, a couple weeks ago. You guys might know the name, uh, faithful pastor James Coates. Last year, right, he's up in Ontario, I believe, up in Canada. But, but his church was, well, the government said they were going to shut down his church. James Coates said, no, no, you don't, you're not Lord over the church. We're, we're going to stay open. He spent a couple of months in jail for that. Um, as I was listening to this podcast, he had a, a chance to explain this. And I don't have any quotes from him. I just remember this one thing that he said that really stood out to me. He said, this trial that that my church and I have undergone, it's a down payment for the one that's coming next. It's a down payment. Church, are are the, the trials that we are undergoing, do we see them as down payments for the next one coming? Do, do we see these as, as that, the foundation that's being laid for that next difficulty? Let us not complain in them knowing that, and let us not run. 
They're here for their purpose. Let the Lord do his work. And that's point number five, the Lord's purpose. The Lord's purpose, verse 11. And he talks about Job. You've seen the steadfastness of Job. And you've seen the purpose of the Lord. We all know Job, right? He kind of has the, I mean, the, the corner on, on suffering. We all point to Job, right? We're, our suffering's never as bad as Job. And thanks be to God for Job. Right? Just a reminder. He lost his children, his possessions. He, he was struck with a, a great sickness. I believe it was leprosy, but he had all these sores, and he had to scrape them off with, with rocks. He was just in this really beat-up state. Lost everything. And, and even in, in that suffering, right, his, his wife infamously said, Job, your response should be to curse God and die. So he had this voice at him that just said, just abandon God. In chapter 3, uh, verse 3 of Job, these, these were his words. You can kind of see his lament. Let the day perish on which I was born in the night that said a man is conceived. He saw all these circumstances. He, he asked God why. He was confused about his suffering. And then on top of that, he had his three wise friends, right? No, 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 not wise friends. Right? They gave him such bad advice. But you know what Scripture said in, in the book of Job? But after all is said and done right, but in this, Job did not sin or he did not blame God. I don't think it's uncommon for us, like Job, to, to question. It's not sinful to even talk about our plight or to address it. I think it comes in the manner of how we deal with it, it the attitude. And ultimately, it must come down to that one big question. Are we blaming God? Or do we know that this is just our present reality? This is, this is what we're in. And I know, even though I don't understand it, it's, it's confusing at times. And I even come to my points of, just as Job, I'm lamenting. Not uncommon. But how do we view it in the end? How do we view it in the end? We, we know that Job's fortunes were restored. Right? He suffered for a season. But his hope in God was renewed. Was renewed. In the end, it was made well. You know, I don't, I don't know if I would be doing my due diligence this morning as I stand up here before you guys uh, to say that all will be well in the coming future. I, I can't assure you of anything. Of course, you and I see that, that our world is different. Our, our nation is different. And perhaps now, maybe more than ever before, there, there's a, just the early stages of, of, a, of a slight persecution coming against the righteous, coming against God's people. I don't know what shape that will take. And just like you, I, I would hope that things would be restored and that things would be like they were. I don't know. But I, I have to remind you of this very last point. 
Point number six, because it is so important. It is so important. Look at verse 11. How the Lord is compassionate and merciful. James ends his point on patience and suffering by saying that the Lord is compassionate and merciful. That means if more upheaval were to happen, more persecution, more trials, more sickness, more difficulty, the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Psalm 103, verse 8, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. In Psalm 103, verse 13, So the Lord shows compassion on those who fear Him. Right? Even in the midst of great suffering. Even in the midst, and, and right, suffering is, and persecution is nothing new under the sun. As Solomon would put it in Ecclesiastes, nothing new under the sun. Even whether it be for John Bunyan in the 17th century, whether it be for the Apostle Paul, whether it be for the Chinese that sit in a cold cell because they have not denied their Lord. Suffering and persecution is nothing new. But in it, Lord, he is compassionate and merciful. I want to close with that point. That that is what we need to have in whatever circumstance do we see this. That he is going to remind us of that. That he is going to be with us in our difficulty. So Emmanuel Bible Church, whatever the days ahead are, Whatever the circumstances, be reminded of this. Look to the Lord's return. Remember your reward. Look to the examples of old. Be reminded of Scripture. Look to the Lord's blessing and suffering. Remember the purpose of the Lord. And remember that in all of that, the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Let us pray. Lord, we are thankful that nothing's new with you. Uh, Lord, that you give us enough. That there is no temptation that has overcome us, that is common to man. You, you give us enough, Lord. Lord, we are thankful for your compassion. We are thankful for your mercy. And we just pray that we are reminded of this this morning, Lord. That whatever state of suffering we are in, we look to you, God our heavenly Father who cares for us in our time of need to all the glory, to all the praise be to you. In Jesus' name, amen.